So when you were a kid, why is it that your mom cared so much about what you wore? I mean, she had opinions about the dress you would wear to church. She wanted to know if your shirt was tucked in at school. And she wanted your outfit to coordinate even when you were out running errands on a Saturday morning. Moms care about what their kids wear. Dads, typically, not so much. Dads have basically two criteria when it comes to dressing their children. Number one, are all the parts and pieces covered? Good. Number two, are there any visible stains? No? All right, you're good to go. That's it for dads. But mom, mom always cares about how you're dressed. And it makes sense because whether you like it or not, the appearance, the clothing of the children sends a message about the parents. And moms know that. Sure, they want the kids to be well cared for, but they also know that how the kids present themselves sends a message to the world about mom and dad themselves. And they want the world to know that this kid matters, this kid is special, this kid is loved, and this kid is cared for. Which is why even when you're an adult at the ripe old age of 43, you can expect to receive some gifts from mom this season that you can wear. I'll probably get a sweater And my mom will say to me, it will look nice in a meeting. (laughs) Or she'll send me a note saying, it was really nice to see you in a sport coat at the kids' Christmas concert. (laughs) My mom, I I know my mother, she is watching the live stream right now because she watches the live stream each and every week and shares it on Facebook. I know she's watching the live stream right now and she's going to send me a text message later this morning about the fact that I am wearing a tie and how much she loves the fact that I am wait, what, what's that? Oh, I guess, okay, so she, she decided to, you look so handsome in a tie, you should wear one more. See, I'm telling you, moms always care about what their kids wear, and because it's a reflection of the care and love of the parents themselves. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because today we're continuing our teaching series that we are in all of Advent called The Clothing of the King, where we are looking at key moments in the, in the Christian story, in the biblical narrative, and we're looking at some of the elements of clothing in those key moments because believe it or not, as, as minor of a detail as it seems to be, yes, even the clothing in these major stories points us to the person and the work of Jesus. And today we are looking at the story of Joseph Joseph, whose father Jacob, also known as Israel, his father loved him the most. And he showed this love. He he demonstrated to the world the love that he had for Jacob by dressing him in an infamously ostentatious jacket. Look again at what it says in Genesis chapter 37. This is verse 3. Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Just puts it right out there. You're my favorite. Because Joseph was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, the truth is, we can't be sure that the robe was a multicolored robe. It could have been a multicolored robe. It could have been simply a long and flowing robe. The Hebrew can be translated in a couple of different directions. What we do know is that it was over the top. It was all kinds of extra, as the kids say. And it sent a very clear message. This kid, of all my kids, is the favorite. He's the favored one. Now, mom and dad, I know that you and I, 
we don't have favorites. But Jacob had favorites. He had one. He had Joseph. And he made it clear to the other brothers, Joseph's my favorite boy. And the other brothers couldn't stand it. They were understandably filled with jealousy and bitterness. Now, I don't, want to, I don't want to condone anything that the brothers did because what they would go on to do to Joseph was, was truly horrific, truly awful. But I, I do just want to admit that I can kind of see where they're coming from because the father makes his favoritism of Joseph explicit. And if you read the story in all of its detail, Joseph is a 17-year-old kid and he is incredibly obnoxious about his favored status. And so there's, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, what the brothers did to Joseph was bad, but I kind of see where they're coming from. Look, you and I know what it's like to be jealous. You and I know what it's like to, to be jealous and, and for that jealousy to then give birth to its close and corrosive cousin, bitterness. And maybe, maybe you're feeling a bit of jealousy right now about something going on in your life. Over the last couple weeks, I've done a, a bunch of hospital visits to, to people in our ministry who are, who are sick or struggling in various ways. And it, you, it's interesting, you, you can watch if someone's enduring a long hospital stay when you meet with them multiple times and you, and you pray with them, you talk with them, no matter how positive they are, when they watch other people who are in the hospital alongside of them finish their course of treatment or be released because their, their health is doing better, you can see and you can understand the little, little pangs of jealousy in their heart. I wish I, wish I could go home too. Or, or maybe you've got a sibling that you love, but this sibling is just crushing it in life. Like they're doing... They're doing better than anybody ever expected. And, and this sibling doesn't lord it over you. This sibling doesn't rub your nose in it. But every once in a while, you just look at their success and you think, man, I'm jealous. Or, or you have a boss who has a favorite. And that favorite ain't you. And this favorite, this second in command, this this right-hand man, this right-hand girl, she gets all the opportunities, even though she's not nearly as talented as you in your own mind. <laughs> and you are constantly overlooked. Everything they do is great. Everything you do is second to them. And you know what it's like to feel jealous. You know what it's like for that jealousy to give birth to its corrosive cousin bitterness. You know what that is like. It, it happens quite often because we are creatures of comparison, aren't we? We are constantly assessing ourselves. And the way in which we assess ourselves and whether or not we're blessed, whether or not we're favored, whether or not we're doing well, is by looking at somebody else. We are creatures of comparison. And part of us always wants to be doing better than the other people around us. I don't have to be doing, I don't have to be succeeding in all the ways I want to succeed, but at the very least, I need to be doing better than all the people around me. Simon Sinek, the famous author and, and speaker, he, he cites a well-known study where people were given two options. One option was to have a house that was worth $400,000 on a street where every other house was worth $100,000. Or, option two, have a house that was worth $1 million on a street where every other house was worth $2 million. Overwhelmingly, the people in the study chose which house? 
the house worth less money, the $400,000 house. And they chose that house, even though it's less, worth less than the million-dollar house, because at least in that scenario, it was more expensive and better than everybody else on the block. You and I, we are creatures of comparison. And we are constantly looking at how other people are treated, what other people have, and how we match up, and what it says about our status. And it breeds jealousy and bitterness which puts people of faith in a very interesting situation. Because jealousy and bitterness, they, they tend to cloud, they tend to cloud the peace that we are supposed to have as the people of God. Jealousy clouds, confuses, stymies, and frustrates the peace that we are meant to have by having this right relationship with the Father. Because something in us says, well, I have this, but they have that. Or I'm going through this, but they're going through that, and that's better, and that's better. Maybe I'm not as loved by God as I thought I was. Or maybe God doesn't, God doesn't, God doesn't look out for me in the way in which he looks out for her. Or maybe God's overlooking me, but definitely not overlooking them. You ever wrestle with that? Now back to Joseph's story. The coat of many colors isn't the only mention of clothing in Joseph's story. What's really fascinating about this story, if you read all of it, it takes up several chapters towards the end of the book of Genesis, is that there are mentions of clothing in every major moment of the story. It's very clear that, that Moses, as he wrote down Genesis, he was, he was trying to help us understand that, that clothing was symbolic in every stage of the story of Joseph's status in the story. So, so, for example, yes, Joseph gets the coat of many colors from his father, but then his brothers become extremely jealous, and the brothers take him and sell him into slavery, where he's stripped of his clothing. When he's sold into slavery, he finds favor with his captors. But having found favor with his captors, he finds himself alone with a woman who is not his wife. The woman, we don't know her name, is simply called Potiphar's wife. Potiphar was a man who was a high-ranking general in Pharaoh's army. And so Joseph is alone with Potiphar's wife, and she wants to seduce him. And quite literally, she's chasing him around, and she lays hold of his garment. And we're told she lays hold of his garment, and Joseph is completely unwilling to be bedded by this woman. And so he, he runs away, and he lets his outer garment be stripped off of him so that Potiphar's wife is left standing with Joseph's garment in her hands. And he, assumedly naked, runs away. Now, even though his character is intact and we know that he didn't do anything with Potiphar's wife, he is then wrongly accused and he is, he is sentenced to prison where he, is, he, is, he has his head shaved and he's stripped of his clothing again and he's sent into prison. But because he has a knack for interpreting dreams, he once again finds favor with his captors. And because of his ability to interpret dreams, he's released from prison and he's given a clean shave and a haircut after a long time in prison and we're told he's given a fresh set of clothing. There's clothing mentioned again. 
Well, Joseph then rises in influence and he becomes the second in command to Pharaoh, the most popular person, most powerful person in the known world at that point. He becomes second in command to Pharaoh and we're told that when he is made second in command to Pharaoh, a ring is placed on his finger and he is given the finest of linen to wear. So now think about what's happened. Joseph has been given a fine piece of clothing by his father in the beginning to signify his status among his brothers, but now he's given the finest of clothing by the most powerful man in the world to signify his status in the eyes of not just his brothers, but in the eyes of the known world at the time. Man. But there's more. And the more is the really good part. Eventually, Joseph's brothers come clamoring to Pharaoh. And in doing so, they come clamoring to Joseph. But they don't know that it's Joseph. They don't know that their brother that they sold into slavery, that they told their father was dead, was actually the right-hand man of Pharaoh. They don't know this. But, but Joseph knows it. But, but rather than... Rather than treat his brothers as their sins deserve, rather than call them out and say, you tried to kill me, but I'm still alive, and now I'm going to kill you, or I'm going to judge you, or I'm going to punish you, he doesn't do that. What Joseph ultimately does is he turns the tables, and he, he refuses to give his brothers what they deserve. He refuses to treat his brothers as his brothers have treated him. And ultimately, the choice he makes is to bless his brothers in a time of famine. Everyone was starving, but Joseph decides to bless his brothers who tried to kill him. But then there's more. Look at what Joseph does. It's easy to overlook, but it's a powerful and very important moment. He not only feeds them in a time of famine and provides for their, for their earthly needs, but he also decides, well, let me just read it to you. He decides in 37 verse, actually 45 verse 22, he It says this, to each and all of his brothers, Joseph gave a change of clothes. Joseph gives his brothers, who had sold him into slavery, who had tried to kill him, who had written him off as dead, his brothers who deserved punishment, his brothers who deserved no blessing, from Pharaoh's hand. He gives to his brothers brand new clothing. Now, why does he give them brand new clothing? It's not just that they were wearing dirty duds. It's not that. It's not merely a practical gift. This gift is symbolic. It's a picture. It's new clothing for a new beginning. It's new clothing for a new relationship. He is saying to them, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to meet your needs, but but you can't wear your old stuff. You got to wear new stuff from this point forward because you are now my forgiven brothers. I'm not going to treat you as your sins against me deserve. You're my forgiven brothers. So here's some new clothes to wear that signifies our fresh start and our new relationship. You are my forgiven brothers. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like, all of this connects together. How does this connect to Advent? How does this connect to Jesus? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God, God in flesh. Jesus is, in fact, the favored Son of the Father. Everything in Joseph's story points to Jesus. Jesus is the favored Son of the Father. We hear this from the moment that he's born. He's born and the angels show up and what do they say? They say, glory to God in the highest. Does that tell you that Jesus is favored? Is he important? Yes, he is. 
But then fast forward a handful of years, Jesus is starting his ministry. Jesus is being baptized by John the baptizer. And what happens? The clouds break and the very voice of the Father is heard saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am pleased. He's saying exactly what Jacob said about Joseph. This is my favored and favorite son. God the Father has a favorite. And it's Jesus Christ the Son. But his favored status would anger his brethren. The Jewish people would not have a favorite son of God. They were angered by his status and the things that he said and the miracles that he performed, and so they, they stripped him of his clothing. They held it in their hands. They held it in their hands, and they, they cast lots for it, and then they threw him into the pit of death. But just like Joseph so many centuries before, the pit could not hold Jesus. And Jesus rose out of the pit of death. And when he emerged, he emerged not just, not just stronger, but he emerged glorified, resurrected. But then this same Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I will have even more power, even more glory in my hands. And it won't just be these disciples, these brothers who recognize me, but it will be the entire world that recognizes me. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Remember in Joseph's story where at first it was just his brothers who saw his rise to power and his favored status, but then it was the whole known world that saw his rise to power and his favored status? That parallels Jesus. He rises from the grave and there's 200 followers and he says, but wait, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. It'll be like when, when Joseph was the right-hand man of Pharaoh and the whole world knew his privilege and his power and his status, but it's going to be like that times a million. Jesus will return, and when he returns, he'll have power and glory in his hands, unknown and unmatched, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You see the parallels. But there's more. And the more is the best part. Jesus has brothers and sisters who have sinned against him as well. And Jesus refuses to treat them as their sins deserve. He refuses, though we have rejected him, though we have denied him, though we have blood on our hands for kicking him into the pit of death, though we deserve nothing good from the hand of the Father, he is going to insist that we are fed in the midst of famine. And what he feeds us is forgiveness in a world that has no grace. And he is going to insist that we get new clothes to signify our new relationship with the Father made possible through him. He insists that we are wrapped in what are called robes of righteousness. Robes, clothing of beautiful goodness that we did not earn, but has been wrapped around us like that beautiful cloak was wrapped around Joseph in that story. Through Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, there is a new set of clothing given to all those who call upon his name. It is a set of clothing that is ostentatious and audacious and completely undeserved. It is a goodness in the eyes of the Father that you cannot earn, but has been gifted to you through Jesus Christ, and it wraps around you, and it signifies that you too 
are a chosen, beloved child of the Father. That's what it means. And you are meant to hold tight to it and wear it well and understand yourself and see yourself in light of the clothing that has been gifted to you through Jesus Christ. He wraps his sinful brothers and sisters in a new clothing of righteousness that they did not earn. Now, what are we to do with these parallels between Joseph's story and Jesus' story? Well, I think one of the things that we can do is go back to that, that battle with jealousy and, and, and bitterness that we wrestle with, that, that, that connection we feel between those brothers in Joseph's story. I think the key to combating so much of the jealousy that we feel is to, is to make a choice, to make a choice about what we will focus on, especially this time of year. Will we focus on what we don't have in comparison to others, or will we focus on what we do possess and cannot lose in Jesus Christ? Advent is a wonderful time of year to refine your focus. You have all these invitations, lots of church services and songs and scriptures all over the place, lots of opportunities for you to be reminded of what you are being given in Christ. You are being given a new set of clothing and a new beginning with the Father. That's what he brings with him. And you can choose to to gauge your status in light of what Jesus Christ has given and what cannot be lost, or you can choose to gauge your status and measure your worth in light of what everybody else has but you don't possess. Which will it be? Where will your focus be? And my friends, our eyes fixed on what is wrapped around us because of Jesus Christ and our status as, as chosen, privileged, forgiven children of the Father, that is the key to a peace that cannot be shaken and stolen in a world that wants to shake and steal your peace and make you jealous and make you bitter every second of every day. You can think of it like this. There there are horizontal things that you can look at for peace and there are vertical things that you can look at for peace. Horizontal is all the stuff of this world. It It is relationships of this world. It is possessions of this world. It is the prizes given away in this world. It are the places that people long to be in this world. And then there's a vertical reality and the vertical reality is the the existence and your relationship with God. And very often, we try to fortify our peace, build a foundation for peace based on horizontal things. But but let me just remind you of something you already know. Every single thing in this horizontal world has been corrupted by sin, evil, and all kinds of brokenness. There is no ideal person, place, possession, prize, or thing. Not only is there no ideal person, place, possession, prize, or thing that will ultimately satisfy you, but everything that we see and touch, everything is ultimately corrupted and corroding and disappearing. That's what happens. We, We are in a world that is dissolving. And so if we build our foundation for peace upon these horizontal things, we will in the end be disappointed 
There is but one thing that you can build your peace upon, and that is the vertical relationship that you have been given through Jesus Christ. You have a right relationship with the Father that no one can steal from you, no one can take from you, no one can, no one can rob you of. It can't be shaken, stolen, it can't be corrupted. It will never be destroyed. You have the right relationship with the Father. That's what's been given to you in Jesus. That's what's arriving at Christmas. That's what is yours. And every moment of every day you say, is this my peace or is this my peace? Which will it be? And you have the opportunity, this Advent, to say, what do I need to do so that the relationship I have with the Father through Jesus Christ remains at the center of my celebration, so that it continues to be the heart of my peace and my confidence as a human being that I'm okay and that I am loved. Amen. Maybe it means you need to prioritize opportunities like this to come to church. Perhaps it means you need to grab a devotional that you can read so you can keep the reason for the season at the center of your life. Maybe it means you need to scroll Instagram a little less because everybody's putting their best out there and you're like, I don't have that. I don't look like that. I didn't buy my kids that. We didn't have an office Christmas party like that. Let's, like, shut it down. You don't need it. It, it. it just gives root to jealousy and bitterness and it's corrosive and it clouds and sways and stymies your ultimate peace. You what can we do this season to keep our focus on the peace that is vertical, the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. That, that's my little bit of Advent homework for you this morning. I'll close with this. I'll finish where we started. Moms and dads care about what their kids wear for a whole lot of reasons. Amen. But the primary reason is because they know that what their kids wear is a reflection of how they're loved and how they're cared for. And the same is true with our Father in heaven. He cares about what you wear. Not, not this stuff. But this relationship. Amen. He wants you to know that through the work of Jesus Christ, whose life is mirrored so perfectly, so closely in the life of Joseph, that you are wrapped in a robe of goodness, righteousness, and beauty that you, you did not earn and you cannot lose. And you have the opportunity to focus on what has been wrapped around you in Jesus Christ, and may it be a foundation for peace this time of year. And know that as you focus on the goodness that you have in Jesus Christ, that the Father looks at you wrapped in the love of Jesus, and he says to you what your mom says to you when you wear a tie or you dress up. He says to you, you look so good. What, what is this? Oh, okay, she must have liked it. Uh, I'm getting you more ties for Christmas. So handsome. You're my favorite child. Oh, okay, well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Good. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of a righteousness that we cannot earn, but has been given to us nonetheless. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, we are the other brothers. We are the jealous ones who have been, have been treated with grace and mercy undeserved. And we thank you that, that in Jesus Christ we are wrapped in goodness, in mercy, and that we are chosen to be members of your family. Father, help us to focus on the possession that we have in Jesus Christ rather than all the things that, that others have. Help us to look up towards heaven and the gift that comes to us this Christmas rather than around us at what other people possess. And help us with peace in our hearts to offer some semblance of that peace to others. In Christ's name, amen.